free to get started, and it's good to see everyone here today. And we are actually uh, almost to the end of this uh, study here for the year anyway, as we've looked at Theology 101 for uh, going on 12, 13 weeks. So uh, today we will look at, I've got one attribute. I know we've been trying to get through two uh, each week, but we will look at one today. And then next week, we will finish up for this series, and then Grant will pick back up in the book of Amos. So that's a little bit of the timeline ahead of us. Uh, so I, I, I hope uh, this study has uh, blessed you like it has blessed me. There's nothing like getting into God as much as we possibly can and understanding who he is and what he is all about And I've told several of you this, when you're the one preparing for the lesson, you probably get the most out of the lesson, and that that certainly has been the case for me, and it's been a a thrill uh, to study our God uh, here in this this first few weeks of Theology 101. Um, So today we are going to look at this attribute of God. God is truthful. Now, some folks like to classify God's attributes Um, They will say he's got a moral uh, set of attributes versus maybe you might say an amoral. There isn't kind of this right or wrong group. You can throw omnipresence into that. You can throw spirit into that. But then there are these groupings of God's attributes that are called moral attributes. And this would be one of them. God is truthful. Now, I, I do, as you know, you probably have seen the pattern we've gone through as we look at these attributes, where we identify the attribute, then we define the attribute, ask a question, get into some proof text. So maybe I'll just open it up today, and I'm just curious, how would you uh, define the word truthful? This could be one of those words where it's like, yeah, in our minds we know what it is, but um, how would you define the word truthful before I get into the, uh, the definition I've concocted? Anybody? Besides, full of truth, and we can, we'll, we'll eliminate that one right off the bat. Pastor, okay. So, Pastor is recognizing. This may not be full disclosure. That would be a lot more, uh, more than we can handle at this point. So thank you. Good. Other other definitions of truthful as you think about it? Gordy? Lack of deception. can tell the truth, but be deceptive like Abraham was. Right. Grant? If you go along with what Gordon is saying, um, you know, God is the opposite of Satan. Satan is the deceiver. Mm-hmm. So that would go along with Satan. Okay. So here, here Grant is, uh, again, we've got in the moral attributes, truth versus lie. Grant says Satan is the deceiver. God is the true one. Okay. Eric?
Okay. Yes. So everything that God, Eric said that everything that God has disclosed is true. And so whatever he has not disclosed doesn't mean it's not true. It's just we have not seen or it's not been yet revealed to us. Yes, Grant? A good, it's a good point, and maybe that's why, uh, in the case for today, we're taking one attribute because of this conflict in the world today. So Grant says that we're seeing a lot of I feel or I think, and then that becomes people's form of truth, perhaps. And so God, God has revealed the truth to us, and he is truthful despite what we're seeing in the world today. So thank you. Uh, let's... Let's do just some really quick recap from last time we were together here before we launch into God is Truthful. Um, does anybody remember what two attributes of God we looked at last week? Or one of the two? No. Say it again. Wise. Wise. All right. Good. God is wise. We capped off with that one. Grant. All right, good. God's omniscience, God's wisdom, excellent. What gospel describes God's knowledge of insignificant details as well as his knowledge of hypothetical events? Anybody remember what gospel that comes from? I know we had a holiday this week, a lot going on. Get one in four chance. I think I heard it. No? Okay, Matthew. So we've got uh, God knowing the number of hairs on our head, knows when a bird falls, and then we've got this hypothetical situation if certain cities had uh, repented or heard the information they would have repented. Uh, What key psalm underscores God's omniscience in the first six verses? Psalm, I think I heard it, Psalm 139, correct, yes. I was going to say the chances of this one are a little bit not as good as the Gospels, what, 150, 1 in 150 on that one. But yes, Psalm 139, uh, name the theological idea we talked about that states that God does not know future events. He knows past, current, but he is, I almost said the key word there, but what was that called? Open theism, right, or openness theology. And then what Old Testament and New Testament books were noted for their focus on wisdom from God? Good. Proverbs and James. Thank you. Very nice. All right. So we'll move on to God is truthful, and perhaps we could define it this way. I'm I'm glad to hear some of the definitions rolling around in in your minds. Uh, But maybe we could say it like this. God is the ultimate reality, and he is the progenitor of truth incapable of lies and deceit in word and in action. And sometimes it's fun to go back to the older languages so we might get a broader understanding. We've, we've talked a little bit about how in Hebrew recently there can be up to four different definitions of a Hebrew word. So 
if we look back at some of these older languages and look at some of the words where we get our word truth from, in Hebrew, we've got amet, which uh, some of the other ideas that go along with that could be firmness, veracity, faithfulness, and stability. All right, so I'd like to think if we have the truth, we can stand firm in that truth, understanding the Hebrew word there. Uh, the Greek word aletheia, unconcealed, disclosed, revealed essence. All right, so a little bit more about what, what Pastor and Eric were talking about there. Uh, the Latin word veritas, reality, real facts, real life. And this understanding helps us recently. We've been introduced to some new phrases in recent years, uh, like fake news and uh, really, what are we after? We, we want the real facts. We want the, we want the hard truth, right? That's what we should be after, what we should be all about. So is this attribute of God communicable or incommunicable? Is truthfulness something we can share in or not? Yes, yes, amen. It is something we can share in along with God. Certainly not to God's extent, as has been the case with all the uh, communicable attributes. He's at, he's at that perfect level, and we are at an incomplete level. All right, so where do we get this idea in Scripture that God is truthful? So we'll take a look at three or four texts here. Uh, Numbers 23, 19, and this is actually in the discourse between Balaam and Balak, believe it or not. But uh, Balaam says at one point in time, as he's making the case for why he is saying what he's going to say, pronouncing a blessing upon Israel, despite what Balak is telling him to do, he's saying, God is not man that he should lie. So here's one of the early indicators in Scripture that tells us God, he's not capable of lying. We move forward to Psalm 33, 4. It says, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work, this is the conduct of the Lord is done in truth. Romans 3, 4a, maybe this is a go-to passage for some of us as we think about God's truthfulness. Paul here is uh, talking about how the um, nation of Israel, they did not keep their end of the bargain. All right, And the question comes up, well, since they didn't keep their end of the bargain, does that make God at fault as well? And he says, by no means. There's an emphatic response by Paul, and he says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And uh, that, that is exactly right. And finally, if you don't mind turning to the book of Hebrews, I'd like to take a look at a passage here, Hebrews six thirteen through 18. You will get your Bibles out. If you notice, I'm skipping over that first part of Hebrews 6 intentionally. So that is one of those passages where, where a lot of questions arise, um, but we're going to look at the later portion of Hebrews 6 as it deals with God's truthfulness. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 18. And the writer of Hebrews says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. There's our key phrase right there. It is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And then verse 19 goes on and kind of sums it up there. We have a sure and steadfast anchor. And that's what truth does. It anchors. And so as we think about this passage, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I'm probably guilty of this. How many times in your life have you said, I swear to something, you know, I'm telling the truth. I had a friend in college, he would really try to identify maybe, in his mind, the the greatest source of truth ever given to us that we can still access. So he would say, I swear by the King James Version 1611 Textus Receptus. That's the way he would, would try to convince me he was telling the truth, all right? So I suppose if... People who are like that, maybe you've got to consider. The point of Scripture would be what? You ought to be living your life in such a true way, you shouldn't have to swear to a higher authority. And, and that's pointed out, and we'll, we'll get to that here maybe in the book of James later on. Uh, but for God back in, in the Abrahamic covenant, he was the ultimate. He, he, he took the covenant upon himself. He was swearing to himself because there is no greater authority or source of truth in the, in, in, in the universe. There's a, there's a phrase, I, you probably have heard it, it's called, All Truth is God's Truth. It was originally credited to the early church father, Augustine. It's been kind of perpetuated over the course of time. And I found this quote from this uh, Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink, uh, expands that idea of all truth is God's truth. So he says, he, that is God, is the truth in its absolute fullness. He, therefore, is the primary, the original truth, the source of all truth, The truth in all truth, he is the ground of the truth, of the true being, of all things, of their knowability and conceivability, the ideal and archetype of all truth, of all ethical being, of all the rules and laws in light of which the nature and manifestation of all things should be judged and on which they should be modeled. God is the source and origin of the knowledge of truth in all areas of life. Because when you hear that phrase, all truth is God's truth, it's pretty summative, but, but what does that mean? And I thought, I thought this Dutch theologian did a nice job of, of breaking it down. He, he lived in the, I think, late 1800s is when he was uh, a known theologian. As I think through this idea of God's truthfulness, I'd like us to consider some of the things that have come forth from God and really look at their connections to truth. So let's think about this for a minute. Let's look at the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the Spirit of, how did Jesus identify the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What a blessing to have in our lives this Holy Spirit, who, again, identified for the truth that he will guide us into, and as the spirit of truth. So you see a strong connection there. How about Jesus Christ? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many people really could make that claim in all of human history? I would say if there are others who dare make that claim, 
um, they're in trouble. And they would probably be, be seen as crazy uh, on a practical level. Let's turn to the book of John now. If you are in Hebrews, go back a few books in the Bible to John 18. And I think one of the greatest, greatest discourses on truth, uh, maybe, maybe in all of Scripture, so Christ, who came forth from the Father, now is heading toward the cross, and he is visiting Pilate. So in John 18, verses 33 through 38, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And just parenthetically there, I really like the humility of Christ there. My servants would have been fighting. I mean, how quick of a fight would that be if Christ's servants are coming down to to fight Pilate's forces there? Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And here's the, the fateful question. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? I'm sorry, what is truth? And so interesting that of all the manifestations of truth in human history, there was the greatest manifestation of truth to ever walk the face of the earth right in front of Pilate. And I don't know know what type of tone was in Pilate's voice. I don't know if he was sincerely asking what is truth or if he was, in a sense, mocking Jesus, making these claims. I I don't know. But such an interesting question that, that Pilate poses to Jesus Christ. What is truth? And again, who is right in front of Pilate? Truth is standing right in front of Pilate. And this is the question that we face in our culture today, sadly. What is truth? And that's why I think it's important we take, we take extra time today to, to look at the truthfulness of God and our role uh, in that in the world today. Well, let's take a look here at one other one other opportunity from God to us uh, and the connection we have to truth. So John 17, 17, this is God's word, Jesus speaking in his high priestly prayer, saying, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Second Samuel 7, 28a, this is around the time of uh, David uh, and getting the, the Davidic covenant through God from um, the prophet Nathan. David responds and says, Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth. A little later, David writes in Psalm 119, verse 160, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So I suppose if we do a little logical um, play on logic here, if we say the sum of your word is truth, so everything you say is true, and then everything that you have ordained is everlasting, can we say that truth is everlasting? I think we can. 
Truth doesn't change despite of what we're seeing in the world today. Truth is eternal, just as our God is eternal. So let's dive into this a little bit more today as I've been talking and just sharing with you the opportunities we've seen in Scripture to see how God's truth is manifested. But we live in such a confused world, I suppose is one way to say it. Our world today is more interested in your truth, my truth, than God's truth. Have you heard that? What is your truth? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Where where do I go for that? I I think part of the issue here is we've looked at the different ages of thinking. There's been modernism and then postmodernism. And then what what in the age of postmodernism happened with the way people thought about truth? It was, it was a matter of questioning, right? They, they brought reason and, hey, is, is what you have held to really true? Um, it brought, brought more of an inquiring mind. It's good to have an inquiring mind, but at the risk of chopping down facts and reality and longstanding truths, um, it, it got dangerous. And so now some folks say we live in what type of world? A post-truth world because of what has happened through the postmodern era. And that really came about, I would say, in the late 20th century. Well, there are some factors to keep in mind as we live in this uh, confused world today. And we do need to keep these things in mind as, as they don't impact God's truthfulness. Number one, public opinion. How many times have you seen maybe a politician change sides on an issue because of public opinion, the polls? Polling tends to change people's minds, all right? doesn't change God's truthfulness. How about new science? Science in and of itself is a worthy endeavor. But are there situations where science can get in the way of God's truthfulness or God's truth? Have we seen that in our world today? Have, have any of you ever talked to somebody who is so... I don't want to say in love with science, so focused on science, that they have a hard time with creation. I have. Grant? Grant says true science will not be contrary, and that's why I've kind of got it in quotation marks, because sometimes things will be given that, that moniker of science, but is it true science? Yeah, I think everything that is knowable can be observed, and the whole process of science is a good one, um, and it will reflect reality. It will reflect truth. Michael? All right, so Michael said, to worship science is folly, it is not God's truth, and he has seen things change over time. As we learn more, right, science might be one thing one day, but then we learn more, and we think back to the heliocentric view of the universe as, as one example of that. Eric? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So, so Eric, Eric said that what we've seen with COVID is where science has been used, maybe, I'm not going to say exactly what he did, but as he was talking, this idea of almost like a, a bat on, on folks saying this is really the science when maybe it really wasn't the science. It was more of a pseudoscience at points in the process, right? And then you also mentioned evolution, which is one of the great scientific theories that is still prop promulgated throughout education all over the place. Yeah, no doubt. Grant? Right, right. Grant? It's impossible because you're deceived. I mean, yes. in some cases, self-deception and power greed, I think some of the folks that lose their back don't want control. But in other cases, uh, talking to the if you have the right foundation, obviously God's truth, your science will be strong. If you leave that foundation, you're susceptible to a lot of chaos. Yes. So Eric said what we saw in COVID was really propaganda versus true science. Because I think, I believe most of us in here would say the scientific method is a good method and it will uncover what God has set into place uh, throughout the universe. Time. Have we seen uh, truth in our world, truth in our world change over time? Well, I remember, I believe it was 2008, 2009, 2010, there seemed to be a pretty well-established understanding of what folks thought true marriage looked like, right? And you fast forward a few years, 2012, and then all of a sudden in our society, we've got a new definition of marriage, okay? Time doesn't change with God's truthfulness. His truth is eternal. It will always stay the same. Now, I, I bring some of these factors up because we, we talked about this, I believe, when we were in bibliology, talked a little bit about how when our kids go into a public school system or even a higher ed system where they're inundated with uh, theories and concepts and what's presented as facts and truth, it can overwhelm them. And the teachers, the professors will be making the case and they'll state a lot of these factors up here as the reasons why they ought not to be thinking the way they're thinking. So we need, to, we need to understand that. It, it is very dangerous if we're setting our young people into these situations because what happens most of the time, and this is why advertisements are so effective, is that if you hear something, you tend to believe it. The more you hear it, the more you tend to believe it. And think about young people, especially, as their brains continue to develop, they are so susceptible to what they're hearing. Uh, so our job as parents is to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and to prepare them for these different factors that will present it that will try to knock down the truth they have based on God's word. Doug?
Right. Yeah, so Doug shared, um, we've got universities and, and even the public school system, which seems so much, I graduated from a public school back in 94. And, you know, it was a, it was a different era. I, I, I can't believe it's been, what, 30 years now, but um, it, was, it was a kinder era. Uh, I, I was not feeling like my faith system was under attack, but I, I look around me, I hear stories, and it just seems like the enemy has really upped the game of, of deceit, and the attacks are on. So while we're talking about God's truth, uh, this, this is a good opportunity here to remind us that this is under attack in our world, maybe at a greater time in American history than ever, right? All right. Next, next reminder, our battle for God's truth is not against flesh and blood. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. I, I can easily get caught up and get really frustrated with, with fellow humans. I don't know if you can or not. Um, but they, they, the battle isn't with them. They are our mission field. So how do we uphold God's truth in a world so opposed to God's truth while not taking out our frustrations on other humans? That's a tough one. We'll get more into that here in a second. According to a couple of epistles, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 3, our approach to sharing God's truth should be laced with love and gentleness and respect. So it's, it's, it's a good reminder for me to keep in mind as I share God's truth to have these um, these, the, these winsome characteristics about me as I do that and not spew out anger and hatred uh, towards those who may or may not know what they're doing, uh, but they, they certainly are being used by uh, forces of evil uh, to attack what we believe in. Okay, we just have a few minutes left, but I do want to ask the question, and I'm interested because I think this is a good opportunity for us to uh, learn and grow from each other. Uh, so the question is, when we necessarily need the work of the spirit of truth, uh, whom we've already highlighted a, a minute ago, how can we make the case that God's truth is the only truth in our world today? How do we do that? Um, and as you think about that, let me just remind you that in the book of Acts, Acts 17 into Acts 18, we get Paul's going into all these places. And what do you see he's doing as he's sharing the gospel and trying to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, he, it says he reasons with people. Okay, So how, again, identifying we need the Holy Spirit working in the heart of the individuals we're talking to, but how do we reason with people that God's truth is the only truth in this world? Have any of you have had success maybe in sharing and seeing somebody go from, um, oh, this is the world's understanding to, oh, this is, this is what God says. This is the actual truth. This is the ultimate reality. Jason. Good. So Jason's saying if we can take people to the foundation, get them to the very basics of understanding even the process of, as you described, where did the dirt come from? Where's the starting point for what we might see as life and a launching pad uh, that leads to the rest of these ideas? Thank you. Others? Uh, Ben? Um, I worked uh, 
Okay, so Ben said sharing with somebody he knew. He tried going through uh, history, uh, philosophy, all these different pathways to open up their mind, and it seems like he's landed on the heart of the gospel as the key way to uh, maybe have, uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, soften their heart. Grant? So Grant shared that the best way uh, to help people understand God's truth is the Word of God, through the work of the Spirit of God, and uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let me just, I know we're about at time here, let me just make one more point here. I think as we think about the truthfulness of God, God has the expectation that in our lives we reflect truth, and I alluded to this passage really at the start of, of this chat this morning. So James 5.12, which pastor recently, this is timely with pastor series in James, uh, talking about the oath. It's interesting, if you look at the book of James, he makes a couple of key points. At one point, he talks about what pure religion looks like, you know, helping those who have struggled through some things in life. And then here toward the end of, of this book, he says, above all. So it's almost like he's saying, Oh, this, this is something we really need to do. And he says, we ought not to swear by these things. We talked about my friend who would swear on the 1611 King James Version. No, we don't do that. In fact, you go back to the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and when it talks about thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, the thinking there is one of the ways you can take the name of the Lord your God in vain is by swearing to him. We're not supposed to do that. But James says, above all, your life needs to be true. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And again, the qualifier there is above all. This is a high priority to James. And so it makes total sense to say the God of truth absolutely expects that his people live lives of truth and they speak the truth. So may that be said of us in these days. Well, we are at time, but I, I have to ask the question. Uh, we've talked about some recent attributes, God's omniscience, God's wisdom, God's truthfulness. Uh, just want to see if anybody has any testimonies, any, anything they'd like to share, one of these attributes that they've uh, leaned on more in recent days, weeks, or months. Um, I, I tell you, for me personally, I, I've loved the immutability of God in the world we live in today. I think it was Christine Jensen who talked about the anchor, and I think that's what we need, is that anchor. And this is the same thing with the truthfulness of God. We've got that anchor of truth. We know where to turn for truth when seemingly everything around us is trying to change. Amen? So any, any testimonies uh, before we close off for today? Okay. Eric. Oh, wait a minute, this isn't a testimony, is it? <laughs> kind of, okay. All right, there we go. I do. Good. Yeah, yeah, good. So there's some objective, we can see how truth plays out, is what Eric was saying, especially in the Hebrew language with some of these other definitions of, of truth. 
firmness, veracity, faithfulness, stability, and then Grant noted Latin is similar. We see what are the real facts, uh, what is real life here. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, uh, we are a little past time, so let's have a word of prayer, and we will close out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for uh, who you are and that you are the God of truth. And just in my lifetime, it's been remarkable to see how things that most people said are true have changed. Um, And we, as believers, are so grateful uh, that you do not change. Your truth is eternal. We can look to you, your word. We can look at the life of Christ and see truth personified. So may, may that make a mark on our lives. May we strive to be people of truth, uh, living for you, the God of truth. And we thank you for who you are. Bless us now as we head toward time of worship and be with Pastor as he shares the message from James this, this morning. And we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed.